Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. These words from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In his award-winning book, The Christian Imagination, Theology and the Origins of Race, one of the most important publications, I think, in recent theology, Willie Jennings offers a brilliant and comprehensive account of the way Christians and Christian thought and ecclesiastical power became implicated in Europe's devastating colonizations and ravaging imperial expansions in the, er uh, ex expansions in the early modern era. Jennings recounts Portuguese slave trafficking in sub-Saharan Africa, Spanish colonizations of Peru, British missions in South Africa, Europeans theft of indigenous lands throughout the Americas, and the ways in which race and racism kind of crystallized during this time as ideological justifications for violence and subjugation and exploitation. The Christian imagination is a difficult book to read in part because it reveals the ways in which a distorted and corrupted Christian imagination was absolutely central to this process. So you might wonder, what is it exactly that European Christians got so wrong in this moment? How could people who professed to follow a Jesus who commanded neighbor love and hospitality and generos generosity, who worshiped a God who created all persons in his image, who ostensibly believed in the mission of the church to proclaim the gospel of peace to the nations, how could they end up enslaving and exploiting and killing and oppressing God's creatures? What went wrong? Well, according to Jennings, at the root of the colonial European imagination was, is a theological problem. He calls it Gentile forgetfulness. Gentile forgetfulness. The more technical term is probably supersessionism. Right? The idea that God's covenantal relation to Israel has been replaced or supplanted by a new covenantal people, namely the church. But the idea of Gentile forgetfulness, or Gentile hubris, as he sometimes calls it, captures something important, I think, about the ways Christians throughout history have struggled and often failed to understand what it means to belong to God's people and to participate in God's mission in the world, often to utterly disastrous ends. But to remember Gentileness, on the other hand, gets at something central about what it means in New Testament terms to be reconciled to God. Why is it so important for Paul, for the New Testament, that Gentile Christians remember they are Gentiles? And why is it that forgetting as much as Jennings suggests can have such devastating consequences? Remember that you were Gentiles, St. Paul begins in our reading from Ephesians. I think we're tempted to kind of read this line as almost a throwaway line at the beginning of a really exquisite account of God's reconciling work in Jesus Christ in Ephesians 2. We read it as saying something like, remember that once you weren't saved, but now you're saved. 
But Paul is actually choosing his words very carefully here, and he means what he says. Paul's exhortation to remember that you are Gentiles is central, in fact, not just to this passage, but to Paul's entire theology of reconciliation, of salvation. Remember that you are Gentiles. Now, the readers of the letter to the Ephesians were almost entirely non-Jewish Christians. They were Romans, they were Greeks, they were pagans, some might call them. But they never would have thought of themselves as Gentiles. Gentiles was a Jewish term. It was a way of designating the thing that was shared by all people, all persons outside the covenantal people of Israel, namely that they were not Israel. They were the nations, the peoples not elected by God as his chosen, but nevertheless, those who were to receive the blessings of God through Israel. This is why the Lord says to Abraham as he establishes his covenant with him that all the nations of the earth are to be blessed in him. But the idea of the Gentile was not a self-evident one for non-Jews. Indeed, it would have been pretty meaningless to any pagan, especially the Ephesians. And this is because to understand oneself as a Gentile is to locate oneself within the story of Israel. So what is Paul doing here? He's urging the Ephesians to understand themselves as Gentiles. He's teaching these non-Jewish Christian brothers and sisters how to name and understand their identity, their place in the history of redemption, the nature of their particular relationship to the God of Israel. Remember that you were Gentiles. Prior to meeting Jesus, in other words, you weren't in a kind of religiously neutral position. You were outsiders to the covenant. So this is about Christian memory and identity. One theologian puts it this way. He says, Paul wants the Ephesians to see that they are not simply pagans redeemed by Christ. That is a far too abstract self-understanding. Rather, their past must be remembered as a past in relationship to Israel and Israel's God. So put differently, to be a Gentile, I'm assuming most of us here this morning are, is to be joined to someone else's story, a story not our own. It's to be interpolated into the story of Israel and of God's salvation of the world through Israel and Israel's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how St. Paul puts this in, he, in his epistle to the Romans. He says to the Gentile Christians at Rome that they are like branches that are cut off of wild olive trees and grafted into a cultivated one. They're joined, grafted in to the story of God's people Israel. Or maybe let's try a different image to steal again from Jennings. Being a Gentile is like being an in-law. Maybe you know the kind of complicated, vulnerable, but wonderful state of being joined by someone you love to a family that is not your own. Maybe you can remember those first times you visited the family of your spouse, the desire to be liked, accepted by them, 
the fear of being misunderstood, of being rejected. Maybe you recall being with them, welcomed into their home at the holidays, when the children and the parents kind of revert to the patterns of speaking and acting from their shared intimate past, when inside jokes start coming out, when stories from decades past become, uh, begin being shared. And you experience the warmth of that familial intimacy, even as you sit a little bit uncomfortably within it. I mean, you're an outsider after all. But then late one evening, you make a risky move. In the midst of back and forth of conversation late one night, you reference a family joke and the room falls silent. Very awkward. Because everyone knows in that room that the only reason you know this family secret is because someone they love shared it with you. And you're afraid because you wonder if you've overstepped in this moment, if maybe you don't really belong at all. But then your mother-in-law breaks the silence, erupts in laughter, and everyone else follows, and you know in that moment that you belong. You've been taken in, made a son or a daughter. You've been joined to a new family. That is Gentile Christianity. It's like being an in-law, being a, a Gentile member of God's people is to truly belong to another family, but always as a non-natural member. Or another way of putting this, this miracle of incorporation which transcends nature is grace. To be a Gentile Christian is to be shown a grace which we do not deserve. And St. Paul is pleading with his Ephesian brothers and sisters, and so with us, never forget that. Never forget that you were on the margins. You were far off from God's promises until you were brought near by love. So that's what's at stake in Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians, to remember their Gentileness. It's about grace. Paul desperately wants the Ephesians to understand that apart from Christ, they are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They are strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. They have no right to God, no right to God's promises, no right to salvation. Of course, this is true for God's people Israel as well. Their election is by God's grace alone. But all the more also with Gentiles. We have no share in God's family, God's salvation, God's future, save the fact that we are adopted into it by God's mercy. And it's this miracle that allows Paul to then say, but now, you always have to pay attention when Paul says something like this, Noonie day, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. And it's hard not to hear the echoes of Isaiah there. Peace, peace to the far off and to the near, says the Lord. In Christ, we're joined to God's covenantal people. We become heirs of his promises. We're reconciled to God and to God's people Israel. This is Paul's doctrine of reconciliation, that insofar as we're reconciled to God in Christ, 
we're reconciled to God's people. We're grafted into the story of Israel. We're adopted into the family of God. Jew and Gentile are made one, and all hostility between them has been overcome in Christ's peace. And once that's in view, then you can go back and read your New Testament again and see that all of this seeming obsession with Jew and Gentile table fellowship is not an ancillary matter in all of this. It's actually the substance of reconciliation, of salvation. Because if Jews and Gentiles cannot eat together, Paul discerns this, then this calls into question the entire history of salvation. But insofar as Jews and Gentiles can be joined in communion one to the other, then we know that God's redemptive plan to bring salvation to the Gentiles through his chosen people, Israel, has been accomplished in Christ Jesus. But we have to see how this is so. Because when Christ joins Jew and Gentile to one another, he's not simply doing good conflict negotiation. His peace is not simply a neutralizing of antagonisms between people groups. Right? No, he's making two people into one. As Paul says, he's creating in himself one new man in place of the two. And this new man, this new body, is none other than the very body of Jesus Christ. Right? Jew and Gentile joined to Christ's body, share in one spirit, and have access to one Father. Reconciliation, in other words, happens because we're incorporated into the very Trinitarian life of God. And this reconciliation is so wondrous that Paul actually has to draw on and start mixing a whole bunch of different metaphors and go a little wild toward the end of our reading from Ephesians. He says, No longer are you Gentiles strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. So once you were refugees, but now you've been given not just asylum in God's kingdom, but made full citizens. No longer are you strangers to the covenants of promise, Paul says, but you are members of the household, the oikonomia of God. For God's kingdom is not just a society of charity, but also a family of intimate communion. And yet, this household lives not in a residential dwelling, Paul says, but resides in, indeed is, the temple of God's dwelling of which Christ is the cornerstone. In Christ, he says, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul's doctrine of reconciliation is grand. Reconciliation is not a strategy of resolving and mediating antipathy and animosity. It's a process of theosis, of Jew and Gentile being bound to one another in Christ within the very life of God, drawn into communion with one another as we're drawn toward Christ the center. But remember that you were Gentiles. Rejoice in this glorious mystery of reconciliation, the union of Jew and Gentile, of male and female, slave and free, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. This is truly a miracle of God's Spirit weaving together 
in grace, a new human family destined for redemption. Rejoice in this, but never forget that you were Gentiles. You are Gentiles. Because, as you probably well know, Paul makes abundantly clear throughout his epistles that Gentiles never become Jewish when they're joined to God's people Israel. They are forever Gentile members of the household of God. Remember that you are Gentiles. Okay, but why? I think St. Paul would have two answers to this question for us today. The first is this, that insofar as we remember that we are Gentiles, we keep in perpetual memory the radical grace and hospitality of God. That the God of Israel sought us out when we were far off, as the prophet says, at the margins of God's covenantal people. And this is to remember something integral about God's reconciliation of the world, that he's always going to the margins to seek out and save those who are far off. I mean, think in the Old Testament of Hagar, of Ruth, of Rahab, and how the God of Israel meets them at the margins to draw them near. Think in the New Testament of the blind, the sick, the poor, the lame, Jesus continually goes to throughout the Gospels. The Samaritan woman at the well, the demon-possessed man living in the tombs. God is a God who's always going to the margins. And this means a second important reason why we always have to remember that we're Gentiles. Because God's love to the margins has been woven into the DNA of his church. The church shares God's love, God's preferential option for the margins. He calls us to befriend, to welcome, to show hospitality to those on the fringes of our worlds who are different from us, who are far off from us culturally, ideologically, socially, economically. We befriend those at the margins, not because it's the nice thing to do, not because of some pity or charity born of superiority, but because each time we do, we're enacting a parable of our own salvation. We're making repetition of God's reconciliation with us, outsiders, Gentiles, We come to love the margins because we remember that that's where God found us, at the margins, as Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, remember that you are Gentiles. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near. Remember that you are Gentiles reconciled to God and joined to his holy people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.